and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, I'm still covering from a very busy week at Bramham last week, but it was a super week as well as a busy one, and we'll be talking a bit more about that later. On the eventing side, our attention turns to Le Moulin this week, where they've got some five-star action out in Germany. Meanwhile, in show jumping, the Hickster Derby is coming up, and our interview this week is with Trevor Breen. He talks to our show jumping editor, Jennifer Donald, about his memories of this iconic class, and particularly his success there with Adventure de Canon. I really wanted it for him to become kind of a, a bit of a Hickstead legend. So yeah, when he did, it was honestly, it was just relief for the first couple of days, and then that turned into happiness. <laughs> We'll be looking back at Bramham, as I said. Plus, I'll be talking to our news desk about an award scheme to help the fight against obesity in the showroom, new measures to keep competing affordable, and the Unity Pledge, which has been signed by British Equestrian a couple of weeks ago. Finally, our vets, Rick Farr from Farr and Percy Equine and Andy Fisk-Jackson from the Royal Veterinary College, talk about the perks of the job in a vet's life. I love those little perks. I've got a couple of clients that know that I'm very partial to a lemon drizzle cake. And you always equate that extra 15, 20 minutes into a visit. Cuppa, bit of cake. Oh, dear. So, pull in your britches and let's get started. Hi, I'm Jennifer Donald, show jumping editor at Horse and Hound. And to start the countdown to the long awaited return of the world famous Hickstead Derby later this month, I'm delighted to be joined by the dual winner in 2014 on Adventure de Canon and 2015 with Loch Ness and WB is the Hickstead master himself, Trevor Breen. Trevor, welcome to this week's podcast. Hi, Jen. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here. Good to have you. Um, so Trevor, let's take you back to your early days, first of all. I think we've all grown up watching the Hickstead Derby on TV. What are your earliest memories of the class from when you were young? Uh, yeah, they, they go way back then. Um, Hickstead was a huge part of, of show jumping in, in, in Ireland and, and definitely in our family as well. Uh, the yeah. Hickstead Derby would always be on on the, a Sunday afternoon, uh, especially if we weren't at a show ourselves. Um, so the whole family would gather around and watch it. Um, you know, it was live on TV back then all the time. Oh, and yeah, uh, yeah it was a, a big ordeal. We all sat down and kind of sat in the edge of our seat the whole way through, seeing who could <laughs> tackle the course and who could beat it effectively. Exactly. And I mean, were there any riders particularly that sort of inspired you and really stood out for you from those days? Um, <clears throat> lots of riders. Uh, I suppose being Irish, the, the, the first name is Eddie Mackin. Um, oh, yeah. He's uh, uh, obviously probably one of the one of the greatest Irish riders ever, um, <laughs> and and especially synonymous with Hickstead as well, having won it four times on Boomerang. Obviously, I, I didn't. Know, I'm not old enough to have actually seen that potentially, but um, <laughs> I it's, it's you know it's a, a huge part of of Irish show jumping. Um, but then uh, onto that, watching it ourselves, definitely uh, grown up watching uh, John Lettingham riding Kilbaha, oh, uh, yes. who won it. He won it a, a couple of times and uh, and then he also won the speed derby with a horse called Castle Pollard, I remember back then. And I remember he won the double one year and I, I remember thinking that was pretty cool. I'd love to oh, do that. Yeah. And I mean, did you and Shane sort of head out on your ponies and jump ditches and banks and things, you know, dreaming of winning there one day? 
so we were doing that all the time anyway. Yeah. Uh, hunting. Um, <laughs> of course. So we 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 were all, you know we grew up in the hunting field uh, f- predominantly first and foremost you know that was our first uh, protocol and show jumping came after so uh, yeah we were always well used to to the dikes and banks and ditches so that wasn't anything uh we didn't hadn't seen before if you know what i mean yeah stood you in good stead obviously though but uh yeah your first appearances at hickstead weren't exactly copybook shall we say tell us what happened in your first attempts at the speed derby and then the derby itself yeah i was uh, effectively sent home my tail between my legs um, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it was, yeah i was i was i was a bit um a bit of a a, a rookie, I suppose, uh, from yeah. in uh, international terms, um, and I came to Hickstead in 08, first of all with Adventure to Cannon for the for the Speed Derby, and another horse called the Clover Mist, who was um, a great horse, had won a lot and very brave, and I thought I had realistic chances. Yeah, and yeah, I was effectively sent packing. Um, <laughs> didn't didn't uh, transpire how I imagined. Uh, oh, no. Didn't do too bad. I think it was maybe eight and. 12th but you know that right. sounds better than it was to be honest you know <laughs> it, it, it wasn't it wasn't good enough I'd maybe two down and yeah, yeah it wasn't good enough and um so yeah I, I basically realized you know I wasn't at the races here and I needed to do a bit more homework and, and preparation so uh I did the following year I came back with Adventure to Canon and um yeah we won it the following year so um Fantastic. it was uh yeah it was pretty cool and then that year in 09, I, I had my first attempt at the Derby on a horse called Womack, uh, who who wasn't the Derby horse. And if if you know if I was if I had him now, there's no way I'd put him in the class. But oh, I think no. back then I was again green and naive, and you know put him in it. And uh, I I remember I I got around to the hedge and uh, he jumped the hedge and in the air he put all four legs in the middle of it. Oh my god! And goodness. I remember I can still see I can still see the picture and thinking <gasps> I'm dead. I'm oh, dead. God. This is this is finished. And he test testament to the horse. He pulled all four legs out, cleared the hedge. <laughs> um, we landed safely, everything fine. And so I continued and then but that obviously had frightened the living daylights out of him. And yeah. uh the next the next fence is the the road crossing and uh, he just duly said, No thanks, Trev, I'm out. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, and and that was it. Elimination. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh my goodness. I mean it's not the best start, but um I mean what did you take away from that? Did that sort of fill you with uh inspiration to try and do it better? Did you go away and practice? Did you go and watch videos or ask anyone for help after that? What were you what happened between then and your return? I suppose it was a bit like my first attempt at the speed derby. The the first attempt at the derby was a bit of a an uh, an add on. You know, I I didn't go there with, you know, realistically in '09 I went there in my head to win the speed derby, and the derby was just a bit of a side burner thing. You know, I wasn't I wasn't really in it to win it. I was basically just you know in it. You know, without yeah. any real authority. So I realized that's no attitude to have, and. Um, and then obviously Addy had done so well there and then Addy had, you know, he, he, he turned into be the Grand Prix horse that he, that he is and, and was. So I set my sights on the big derby for Addy in 2010. And, um, I, I didn't actually prepare that well for that one because I was on the nation's cup team in Lisbon um, oh, and yes. I'd done a three week trip in Portugal just before. So I, I did a Hickstead on the way home from that trip. Uh, oh, so wow. <laughs> essentially he had no prep for the derby, but, um, you know, he, he knew the, the kind of, you know, he knew the fences, he knew the ring. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the first attempt with Addy, it was, you know, it was it was quite good. I can't remember. I think I maybe had two down. 
but he, you know, he handled it well. And then I, that day I really thought, okay, this horse can win the Derby. So, and I really, I really focused on it from there on in. And then we basically got closer and closer until yeah. finally did it in 2014. Because <laughs> of course you were, you were third in 2012 and then second to Philip Miller in 2013. And yeah, it was 2014 that you finally won it. What was that feeling then when you, you realized you'd got the trophy? Relief. <laughs> pure and simple relief oh my goodness um, it was it was it was for exactly the reason you just said it was like it, it took i obviously tried it in 2010 with him then you know 2011 so then 2012 i was third i think you said then yeah second yeah. so it was just yeah like literally it just felt like one of these things that wasn't going to happen and, and oh my um, goodness and Addy was 14 that year he won it so i knew this his best year was 2013 that's when he was in the peak of his powers uh, he, he was unbelievable he, he barely touched the dry ditch and never forget it it was it was his best round and he, he deserved to win it that year um but uh philip miller was the only clear that year and, and eddie finished second uh there was only two and on, on four falls uh, so and then the following year um i knew you know this is nearly my last chance and not last chance but you know he was 14 he was obviously getting older and uh mm-hmm. and then uh so yeah, I'd probably put a lot of pressure on myself to to do Addy justice because I didn't want Addy to become the the best horse to never win the Derby, and because he's won everything else in that ring, and uh-huh. I just I really wanted it for him for him to become kind of a, a bit of a Hickshead legend, uh, you know, to win all those classes that he's won in the ring, and yeah. it's pretty special, and I really wanted to top that off, and um, so yeah, when he did it was honestly it was just relief for the first couple of days and then that turned oh. into happiness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just talk us through that round with him. I mean, because you ended up jumping off again for for the top uh, prize, but uh, what what did he feel like in that final that round that you did on him? He he felt great. I mean, he, he like Addy always gives his all, you know. He he's a yeah. absolute he was a superstar. You couldn't wish for a better partner to go into the ring with, you know. He was always wanted to please, always wanted to win, always gave his all. You know, he was just one of those horses that he's so intelligent. Like there was his biggest asset was his intelligence and his heart. Oh, wow. um, and, uh, you know, I, I often say I've, 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 I've certainly had more talented horses than Addy, but there's mm-hmm. none with a bigger heart and a bigger brain than him. Oh, he, he, he literally was incredible. Uh, you always knew he had your back and I don't know. It's a weird, you, you always knew you'd be safe. If you know what I mean, um, no matter what class, he, he, like Banks, like in Hickstead, all those things, you you just knew he wouldn't do anything stupid or silly or anything like that. You just knew whatever happened. Okay, we might knock one down or whatever, but you're gonna, we're, we're please God, we're both gonna come out safe and sound and, and yeah. intact. And and he he always gave that kind of confidence to me. And then I, I'd like to think I kind of seemed to give him a bit of confidence the other way too, that, that made him into a better horse than maybe what his what he could be, if you know what I mean. And he made definitely made me a better rider. Oh, brilliant. I mean, yeah, he, we will remember him very well at Hickstead, but I mean, he was just a great horse in general, wasn't he? So it's, uh, and he's still going strong, is he, with his owner, Karen Swan, at, um, at home, is he? Yeah, Karen has him still at home in Tipperary, just outside Cashel. And uh, yeah, he lives uh, the dream life with Freddie the donkey, who's his oh. best friend <laughs> and, and has been, and has been for, God, I would say 12, 13 years. Oh, bless so, him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the two of those are inseparable. Um, oh. And 
Yeah, it's crazy to see them together. It, like, honestly, it's hilarious. But uh, <laughs> they, they literally love each other. Uh, and Karen still rides them. Uh, I don't know if she's ridden them lately, but she still does pull them in and ride them and, and oh, do a bit of kind of, you know, some dressage and just t- little things like that. Just yeah. and, and he loves it. He looks, Aww. honestly, the last time I was home, which was a while ago, but uh, I said, to, I went out to see him and uh, I said to Karen, honestly, if I put a set attack on him, I reckon I'd jump a 130 within a month, you know? Oh he, my goodness. He looks that good. <laughs> That's he, brilliant. He looks incredible. His legs Aww. are incredible. Like no bumps, br- swelling. Yeah. absolutely like a four-year-old's legs. It's incredible. Absolutely awesome. And of course, I mean, he lost his eye quite soon before one of the, the derbies, didn't he? Did that affect him at all? Did you have to ride him any differently after that? Um, he, he actually lost his eye in 2013, uh, but it was a condition that we managed for about five years. Um, and in the end, it was just unmanageable, basically. He was on 16 to 20 drops a day, which was oh, actually gosh. like, a form of cruelty nearly, you know, trying to put yeah. those drops in. And But again, testament to Addy, you didn't even have to put a head collar on him to put the drops in. He just knew what you were doing and he'd nearly oh. just tilt the head and open the eye. Like he was just one of those horses. Yeah, he was incredible. you were trying to help uh, him. Yeah, exactly. And it's it just incredible. And uh, But I felt so bad in the end doing it. Um, he actually was having a brilliant season. He had won, the fi- he'd won two Grand Prix in Villamora. He was second in the Grand Prix in Hardlow. And it was actually after Hardlow that... Um, his eye was bad and uh, uh, with uh, my vet said to me, it's the first time he said, he said, I wonder it's nearly time for, for this to go. Oh, I see. So I rang Karen and uh, we we kind of thought, well, if we're going to do it, we may as well do it. And uh, I, I chatted to my vet and I said, I wonder, is there a chance we did it now? Could he get back in time for the derby? Oh, and yeah. uh, he, he said, yeah. So we, we literally, I'd say he was in the clinic two days. Well, first of all, I had a conversation with Karen which was, she was uh, all upset and, uh, oh. and uh, you know, all that. And I thought, yeah, fair enough, of course, she's yeah. upset. Her, her her pride and joy is having to lose his eye. And then we hung up and um, and then she was just messaging me all upset. And I was like, kind of, what's wrong? And it turned out that Karen just assumed because I, we were taking his eye out that that was his career over and I wouldn't oh, want no. to ride him anymore. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, so, oh my and God. so basically he was retiring and and finished yeah. and I was like no no we're, no, we're going we're, we're, <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're going to win the derby like what are you talking about we're, we're going on and then she oh, instantly gosh. switched to like the happiest person in the world again yeah and um so yeah we literally had him in the clinic two days later he got back and and honestly for the horse and plenty of people have rang me about horses that have had to lose an eye and, and what to do or whatever yeah and I always say if you're in doubt take it out because uh, especially Adley, he'd endured five years of basically I can only equate it to maybe if you had a toothache for that long or something oh, you know and, gosh, and yeah. like and I, I just think this is listen I don't think there's not a huge amount of scientific fact to this but I just in my head I know the horse so well and by the end, he was nearly standing in the back of his stable, waiting for someone to come in and put the drops in. And oh. and the old daddy, the character, like he was playful, always out, like every in everyone's business, and yeah. that was kind of gone. And uh, and when it, you know, when it slides away over time and if over a space of maybe three years, you you don't notice it. It was only when we took the eye out that right. literally it was like instantly the old daddy was back. And oh he goodness. was out, head over the door, in everyone's business. The character was back. And I just, then I felt even, I was felt so guilty. I thought there was yeah. I trying to preserve the eye when 
you know, maybe we should have just taken it out, you know, but yeah. I mean, obviously we were trying to do the right thing, what we thought was best for him, but in hindsight, I, I think he'd have maybe thanked us if we took it out earlier, you know? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's an amazing story and it's, I mean, it's testament to all of you for keeping him in such good health as well. It's, it's fantastic that it all worked out. Um, and then the, your amazing double came in 2015, the following year when you won with Loch Natuza WB. He was a previous winner, wasn't he? Tell us how you ended up riding him in the class because you had Addy as well still at that point, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, I rode him in 2014 as well. That was my first year. That was my first show. The Exeter Derby show was my first show with him. Oh, and, gosh. Uh, <laughs> it was a bit, um, it was hard. Paul Beecher, who's a really good friend of mine, uh, he rode him in 2012 to win it. And uh, and Paul produced him from a three-year-old all the way uh, to that. So it was fantastic that Paul had that uh, had that day on him. It was it was brilliant. And I remember being there cheering and roaring it for Paul that day. Oh. Uh, but <laughs> Then, uh, uh, then I think Michael Lansdale ended up with the horse. Paul wasn't over enough to, you know, in England to ride the horse. Uh, uh, who, yeah. He was based with Bernice Cuthbert and owned by Patricia Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Michael Lansdale took on the ride and he rode him in it for, I think he rode him in 2013. And then uh, I think Michael moved on to run his own yard and uh, they rang me, uh, Bernice rang me to, to know would I ride him. Uh, oh, so. My. I rang Paul straight away and he said, oh, definitely ride him. You'll, uh, you'll win another derby on him. And uh, I thought, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not just that simple, <laughs> Paul, you know? Yeah. And, and I hadn't I hadn't won it at this stage either. You know, this was 2014. So, yeah. T- and Paul was brilliant. He gave me a hand and everything to, um, the first year. And uh, so, yeah, we, I jumped him that year. I, I, I think I had maybe a couple down. Uh, okay. But like I said, I didn't know him. It was I literally jumped him in the Derby trial, and then the Derby oh, wow. it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> or no, it, it was it wasn't a, a lot. So yeah, and then but I got to know him that year. I I, I did quite well. We won we won quite a bit uh, throughout the year of twenty fourteen, and then fifteen he was going super again, and um, yeah, got to the show and he he felt great. And to be honest, so much so that I, I, and this is going to sound really cocky and arrogant, but <laughs> I, I genuinely believed I was going to be jumping off against myself for it. No way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had, I had everything uh, envisaged in my head, what I'd do if I was clear with both of them. Um, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I knew what I would do. I, Addy was the faster horse. So right. basically I would, I would just have to try and jump clear on, uh, on WB and then. Yeah try and beat that time with Eddie and uh, um, and people always said to me because people were asking me what would I do this beforehand and and obviously I didn't tell anyone else this beforehand they would think I was mad but um, and they were like oh she wouldn't jump off you'd divide and I I was I remember thinking are you mad like should you there's two different owners they both want to win you know it's not just about me like and and the horse needs to win you know what I mean it's uh, it's not about me it's about more than that it's about the horses and their like the highlight on them and then obviously the owners want to win it's like yeah. i don't think they'd have been too happy if i said oh yeah i'm not going to bother jumping <laughs> off you know <laughs> so uh yeah so i had i had my plan anyway it didn't transpire um addy uh i think addy had one or two down that day and right. uh and the wb jumped clear and was the only clear only so, clear yeah, it's nice. fantastic and i mean yeah. how did the two compare did you have to ride completely differently the the fences or did they have their similarities coming around to hickstead um, uh, WB was again. He was a he was he was a really good horse, but he was especially a really good Derby horse. He okay. um and and again, I was very very lucky in 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 the two horses that I had. They were so safe 
no, not going to do anything stupid. They they knew the track, they knew the bank, the dike. The, you know, you just, you know, I, you know, some people are cantering up the bank, wondering if the horse is going to just jump off the top and all this kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, that that wouldn't even enter my head. Like with those two, you know, oh, I wow. knew exactly what they were going to do. They, you know, they were just very good horses, very clever, and um, so in that regard, I knew what they were going to do. So then it was just about me and riding it really well and giving them the best chance to jump the jumps um so uh and yeah slightly different with the two but you know um wb for example was not a good water jumper that that was probably wow (laughs) yeah that was probably the worst fence for me in the course and paul warned me about that uh so that was i had to work extremely hard at the water whereas addy was a brilliant water jumper you know what i mean so there was there was a lot of similarities but then differences as well you know Right. Um, and I mean, what have you learned about riding the Derby course over the years then? Have you sort of found your own little ways of doing things? Have you taken advice from anyone or learned things along the way? Um, you're always learning. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's always little things you can improve and do better. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I definitely have my own way around the track, you know. Um, I, I, I know where how I like to ride the fence. I know where I like to jump them, whether it's on the left or the right or or, or the, the line I want to take. And um, I especially go, I go my own way into the, the dike. And it was, it was Shane actually said that years ago to try it that way, um, which is going on the, <clears throat> on the left-hand side as I'm, the right-hand side as you look at the bank uh, off the tabletop, as oh, opposed yeah. to everyone else just goes on the left. Um, I, I, remember I did it once just, to, and I just way preferred it. And I've done it on every horse since and and even when i rode wb and uh you know bernice was like oh he, he she said that he likes going up the railing and i was like i don't okay. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like well, i'm gonna ride him the way i ride him because i think he jumps it they, they both jump it better and uh yeah he, ne- he never knocked the dike he's a brilliant horse at the dike anyway to be honest and he the i think the few years i rode him in it he he, he cleared the dike every time so Amazing. that just shows he went the the normal way that everyone goes with Paul and yeah. Michael and and jumped it and he went my way and jumped it as well. So Yeah, you know, I think, what a horse. Yeah, um, exactly. And I don't think anything can prepare you. I mean you can jump dikes and things at home, but until you do that one at Hickston with the crowds sort of, I mean they're right there and the cars and the trees and everything sort of perched right there. I just I can't I can imagine a horse some it, you know, it takes them by surprise quite a lot, doesn't it, first time in there? <clears throat> yeah, it does. I mean, generally speaking, um I would always have said you'd need one spin around the Hicks at Derby in order to win it. Um, yeah. Obviously, I was uh, proved wrong uh, last <laughs> time with Mikey Pender and uh, oh, yes. and his horse, who who were both first timers. So that just blew my theory out of the water. But um, uh, it, in general, I think up to that, I think you need one spin around it uh, right. before you before you you have a realistic chance to win it because, like you just said, it's a uh, you can do all the the prep at home you want, but uh, you know going in around those jumps on Derby days is just a whole different experience, and a lot of horses take a, a trip around it just to just to kind of figure it out, you know. Yeah, and I mean, do you feel very sort of alone in the middle of that huge arena, or are you just totally focused? Do you are you aware of the crowds groaning? You know, if you've had a fence down, or do you, are you just not aware of anything going on apart from you and your and your horse? You're not really aware of anything. Generally speaking, the only time where you get it, you would f- hear something and feel it is when if you jump out of the dike and you're still clear. 
then oh, the yeah. crowd do get excited, you know, and oh, you can uh, you can you can hear something then, all right. But other than that, it's um, I really enjoy it. It's just uh-huh. it's just a a, a a hack around a big beautiful grass arena with big jumps and stuff oh. in the way, and you you just uh, <laughs> it's 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 just a. I really I I love the class. I love uh, the tradition about it. I yeah. love the course. I love like that. You're just cantering around the big, beautiful arena with amazing fences, and if you're on a good horse and a realistic chance, it's a it's an amazing feeling, you know. And then, and when it goes well, then the the crowd do really get behind you. Um, yeah. Especially like I said, if you come out of the dike and you're still clear, then you can definitely hear and feel the the crowd getting excited. You know. It's a proper buzz, isn't it? Um, and yeah. do you ever not get scared standing at the top of that Derby Bank? And I mean, what's going through your head when you're up there thinking? Uh, the only way is down. What uh, What are you thinking? A really boring answer, Jen, but honestly, I'm not thinking danger. There's nothing like that going through my head. It's yeah. literally, but, and, but for a few reasons, well, I suppose the main reason being the horses that I've said I've ridden in it are brilliant horses at Derby. I know they're not going to do something stupid on the bank. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I've, I've trained it. I know they're just going to go down. I've We've done a lot of training at home. I, I, I've been trained when to jump off. Uh, so it's just my, I'm more thinking of given the cue that I've trained to jump off when I say that they respond and then I'm I'm really focused on the getting the two strides good and jumping those derby rails, which are 160 at the bottom. They're more oh, my concern than, than, yeah. than what I suppose normal people think, wow, you have to come down that hill. Yeah. That's, that's not my concern really. It's, it's about making sure the horse listens to my cue, when to jump and then get the two strides and jump those rails. That's, that's generally, that's more what I'm thinking. Oh my goodness, this is why you're a Hickstead Derby winner and I'm not, so. <laughs> um, Comes a practice, Jen. You have to give me a few goals, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> many goals. Um, and what have been the sort of the best performances you've seen in sort of recent years as well? Are there any sort of horses or performances that have really stood out for you? There's, you know, there's been so many. I mean, like I mentioned Mikey Pender. I mean, oh, yeah. that was that was the that was incredible really when you, you think a, a first timer horse and rider to win it so that you know fair play to them and you know other than that uh, you know i suppose uh, i suppose my brother shane i, f- I feel for him he's jumped uh, he's jumped a good few clear rounds Aww. on really good horses like golden hawk and canyon mccann and uh, you know he just hasn't come a uh, you know he hasn't won it yet which obviously i i do enjoy slagging him about but at the same <laughs> yeah. time i I'd love to see him win it. Uh, it's it's, uh-huh. it's his home show, and uh, you know I think he deserves it. So hopefully he can have a bit of luck this year and get the job done. Yeah, definitely. Um, and sadly, it looks like you might not be riding in this year's Derby. Is that right? You're not. You haven't got a horse for this year. Uh, no, I I, ha- I had a horse, and uh, he just got a little tiny little niggle, so he, he needs a few weeks off, so he he won't be ready for it. But and I was excited about him, so that's that's uh, that is a big gutting. Um. I, I do have a new horse that just got, which you never know. Um, okay. I think I'll jump the I'll jump the Derby trial anyway, and whatever. But yeah, pro- probably not. But um, yeah, I think I'll be watching and uh, and cheering on uh, the rest of them, and probably more most of all my brother. See if he can yeah. get the job done finally. <laughs> um, and tell us, I mean, you've got you seem to have a really exciting string of horses at the moment. Tell us um, some about your top horses and ones that are sort of coming through at the moment. Uh, yeah, I've got a really, really good bunch of horses at the moment, uh, thankfully. Um, I've got uh, Highland President is, is probably my best one. He's uh, 
they're the horse are on the road actually they're they're a few hours away from Sopot uh, oh, which is yeah. a the first leg of the Super League. Uh, it's a counting leg for Ireland. So I'm on the team there with him. Uh, yeah. And uh, then Jermaine W is there also. Uh, she's uh, an 11-year-old mare that uh, uh, myself and Paul McIntyre uh, own. And um, she's on the team the following week in Prague, actually, in the Nations Cup uh, team in Prague. Yeah. And then another one, Toyger, which uh owned with Paul also, and he's a ten year old gelding. He's he's a fantastic horse. Um just kind of stepped up to his first one fifty five in Windsor and was, was oh, clear yeah. with a time fault. So mm-hmm. um some really, really good ones. And then I've I've got a few for the old lodge. Uh Carla T is on the way to Sopat. Uh she's an eight year old, you know, a huge future ahead of her. Um and like I said, old lodge, uh, Prince Torquay own, owns her and uh mm-hmm. he have a couple another couple uh that he owns uh dancing wolf is another one um he's actually gone to get castrated at the moment he was oh, a gosh. stallion but yeah so he, he's he's off for a for a bit uh yeah. but um he's a very good horse and uh and then he i have one also for the old lodge chanker male uh, which is the one i won the puissants in windsor of so, course uh, yes yeah so he's a he's also a lovely horse so yeah, yeah. i'm very lucky of a, a good bunch of horses and um yeah, we we we'll hopefully uh, use them in the right way and uh, and um, yeah, get some good results. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you've mentioned the Nations Cup. What are the sort of other big aims and goals for this year? Um, yeah, to do uh, some more Nations Cups. Uh, this is the the we I've already done two this year. Actually, I did one in Abu Dhabi, a five star. We won that, and then with Highland President, and then and we did the one in Bratislava. I did it with Jermaine W. We were second there. We lost in a jump off to Germany. Oh, yeah. Um, so we nearly won that, but didn't. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, just uh, do some more. Um, obviously, love, you know, if I, to go well enough, the, the ultimate dream would be the, the World Equestrian Games is uh, is on the end of the year. Uh, yeah. Or sorry, not the end of the year, but in, in August. And, um, and then, uh, you know, Dublin, which is the... The, the the Irish show that every Irishman wants to do, uh, you Definitely. know, possibly do something oh. there. That would be fantastic also. Brilliant. And I, I see your kids are fast following in yours and Caroline's footsteps as well. They're uh, keen show jumpers in the in the making, are they, your children? Yeah, they're they're getting into it. Uh, Mia is uh, nine and uh, yeah, she's she was at Pony of the Year show. Uh, yeah, she's she's got a, a great pony uh, owned by Nicola Rogers. Um uh, gorgeous George, we call him. Um, and he, he's a fantastic pony. Uh, really teaching her the ropes and uh, and her other pony, Frisky. He's 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 also brilliant. So yeah, just getting them confident. And and Ollie, he's only five. He's he's just getting into it now. I think uh, I think that they were both at pony camp last week. So I, I oh, think wow. they're always keen after pony camp. Yeah, they, they absolutely love that. So raring um, to go. Raring to go. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well, Trevor, it's been such a fascinating insight into into the Hickstead Derby and everything else. So um, I think the class, I mean, it retains so much prestige and we've missed it for the last couple of years. So um, I think the 60th running this year is going to be extra special. So uh, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you, Jen. So 
So I'm here now with my colleague Gemma Redrup. We are going to have a look back at Bramham Horse Trials, which took place last week. Gemma and I were both up there on the weekend, working hard, turning out lots of stories for Horse and Hound for our magazine and website. But I think we had a great time, didn't we, Gemma? Yeah, it's, I've always had a soft spot, a bit of a soft spot for Bramham. Um, I used to go up there every now and then with my mum as a child. And it's just a really friendly event and the weather was good, um, which it isn't always at Bramham. Um, and yeah, it was just, it felt like everyone was really happy to be back at a Bramham. Definitely. It's an event that I never actually went to until I started working for Horse and Hound because it's quite a long way from, from where I'm from in Surrey. And yeah, I've always been blown away by it sort of from, from the first time I went. I think it's one of the most beautiful parks um, mm. and houses that we get the chance to, uh, to to visit in our sport. And the um, I'm sure we'll talk a little more about the cross-country course later, but it's known always for being a very big, bold track and, you know, a proper proper cross-country test. So yeah, I think it was, uh, it was, it was a big weekend of sport there were three classes three three four-star classes happening mm. let us start with what i think is the showcase class the four-star long there were so many so many stories so much happening in this class but let's start with the winner it was izzy taylor wasn't it Gemma? yep on monkeying around who she owns with mark satori and i think a lot of people know that horse it hasn't always been the most straightforward historically and izzy did a, a really really class job on him again this weekend it was um it was lovely to watch yeah, he's a horse who was a very successful young horse and then, as she says, went through a teenage phase. Mm -hmm. He is very talented and, as she said, like talented children. He'd never really had to try very hard. Then he started having to try and he wasn't sure he really liked it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but now he's kind of realised that it's all right. And you could really see that he was starting to help Izzy out across country mm. and that real partnership coming through. Um, she rode beautifully, I thought, all weekend. He was quite yeah. tricky in the show jumping, I thought. I actually thought he looked to have really grown up cross country and I felt like he went a little green again maybe in the show jumping did you think that Gemma yeah I just felt it looked a little bit like he was sort of not overcome by the occasion but he was his eyes were on stalks <laughs> and I felt like he was looking at everything else and maybe not paying a complete attention to what he was asking him to do but she I mean she did an amazing job they still jumped at um, a clear jumping round yeah, and she had a less than ideal situation in the show jumping because actually during the rider before hers round, Ros Cantor, the wall blew down in the middle of Ros's round, luckily after she had jumped it. So Izzy had a bit of a long wait to go into the arena and when she was in the arena, she couldn't get started straight away because that wall was still being rebuilt. And I think maybe that just gave him a chance to have a look around rather yeah. than being focused. And it's a big old arena at Bramham, a lot of trade stands, a lot of crowd. And, but yeah, I thought Izzy rode brilliantly to still get the clear from him. He is a careful horse and like I say, he was great cross country he did a lovely dressage test he's a horse who's already got championship experience but i think we'll be seeing him at plenty of championships in the in the future as well yeah I've, and it's he's a horse i feel like he's been around forever but he's still only an 11 year old and um so yeah hopefully there's there's plenty more to come from him yeah, definitely. And he's a super athletic horse. Um, and I think physically, he's he's always been talented and, and, and very athletic. And I think he might still build up a little more in terms of his top line for the dress mm. sergeant, that sort of thing, while hopefully keeping all that athleticism. So such an exciting one. We had Ros Cantor in second, such a different sort of horse, um, little mare, Pencos crown jewel. But she was fab all weekend, wasn't she? Yeah, she's so game. <laughs> she looked really cool. She she looked very solid in all three phases. Um, and yeah, I think Ros said that she's she has been a bit of a bit of a b string horse for her. So has maybe gone under the radar a little bit. But 
wow, she's she's super super cool and 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 what a great run of form Roz is Roz is continuing to have. Yeah, and she is of course a half sister to Lordship Scraffalo, the badminton runner up, and we had Roz on the podcast just last week, talking about particularly about Lordship Scraffalo, about Walter, but that she mentioned Pencross Crown Jewel, who she calls Jasmine as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so good, good for Jasmine. Another mare in third, opposition mm-hmm. Loire, ridden by Kirsty Chabert, and Kirsty really impressed me all weekend with her riding as well. Yeah, you and I were watching her um, in the show jumping, weren't we, Pippa? And I said, God, you know, what a class rider. And, and, and it's a really nice result for her as well, because I feel like she works pretty has, and has worked pretty hard for, for a long time. Yeah, she's a rider that you spoke to at badminton, actually, didn't you, Gemma? Because mm. she has quite an interesting story. She's come back having had a baby and had quite a tough time. Yeah, she she had a horrible time um, giving birth, basically, and and com- com- complications after that. So, fair play to her. She's um, she's a real steely competitor, and um, and she, it was like I say, really nice for her to get that result. Mm, and a homebred horse as well, of mm. course. Kirsty's father, Johnny Johnston, of the Landford Common Stud. So that was our top three in the long format, and there was some real moving around in that um, in that class. I think extraordinarily, Oliver Townend was thirteenth after dressage on as is, dropped to twentieth when he broke a pin across country or a frangible device and then rose back up to seventh um, when he show jumped clear and I know you spoke to a couple of other riders who moved up really well in the show jumping ranks on Sunday Gemma just tell us a little about them yep so one of those was Susie Berry and the other one was Christina Hall Jackson who like you say yeah they they both capitalized on really strong jumping performances so Susie but on Ringwood LB um you know he's he's a lovely horse and one that she's very excited about and she in the end finished finished fifth yeah and and christina hall jackson was just behind her on cms google who's another mare um finished sixth and christina was 42nd after the dressage so to then wind up in in sixth was was brilliant and i yeah both girls were, were over the moon yeah, really good work and a really big result for Christina. She said this was her best ever result in the sport and she's not a rider who's had a huge amount of profile. She is on the Wesco Equestrian Foundation, which um, we talked about on one of our Champion Safety Series podcasts not that long ago. But um, she's, she's one of the riders on that programme and definitely really impressed and stepped into the limelight this weekend. Yeah, no, and I think the plan for CMS Google, she said, was to go to Burley. So look forward to seeing them there. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, maybe we should just mention Ian Stark's cross-country course and, and how that rode before we move on to the other classes, Gemma. It was an eventful weekend and sadly two horses were put down on cross-country day, one as a result of an accident at a fence, one who was injured and pulled up on the flat. Um, and I know that Ian took those two, or particularly the injury that happened, the accident that happened at a fence, very hard. And he came into the press office and um, we had a very heartfelt conversation with him on Sunday about the course and the direction of the sport, um, which I can't really do justice to necessarily trying to summarise here, but there's a piece on our website and in the magazine this week, sort of giving a lot more detail on Ian's thoughts. But I know that he maybe feels he's a little out on a limb as a course designer at the moment, that he's producing maybe slightly old fashioned courses, big ditches, quite tough. and this is maybe a bit of a sea change moment for the sport in terms of where we're going and um, making sure people are appropriately qualified for those levels and lots of things in the mix there. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? And I don't, obviously, I don't have the answer or know the answer, know what the answer is or feel like I can really sort of make a comment on it. But like you say, it will be interesting now to see where we go basically from here. 
Yeah, and I'm certainly expecting there'll be some follow-on probably on Horse and Hound and across other platforms too and probably people writing into Horse and Hound and, and, and following up. So mm. we'll be looking at some more at that debate as well. On to the other classes, the British Horse Feeds CCI Four Star L for the under 25 riders is always a fascinating class. It throws up so many people who've come on to be our real stars of the future in the sport. And we had a French rider leading the way this time, Heloise Lagern. Her grey horse, Canakin du Soudre Z. He was gorgeous, wasn't he, Gemma? I think he won the cutest horse award <laughs> at Bramham last week. And and yeah, like every every year at Bramham, um, the, a French contingent tend to come over to contest that class. Um, and quite often they do pretty well in it. And yeah, obviously it's no different for Heloise this year. Yeah, Bramham's always an event that's been very welcoming to uh, to French riders. And, and mm. they've sort of, I think, think it's a great opportunity to come over and, and take part in that class and in other classes too. Tom Carlyle was actually fourth in the in the senior long section. But mm. our new national under 25 champion, a rider called Greta Mason, her horse is called Cooley for sure. So she mm. finished second overall to Heloise. She, both of them finished on their dressage score. In fact, the top three in that class finished on their dressage scores, which was impressive. And Greta's yeah. not a rider I knew that much about but she really really stepped into the limelight this weekend yeah and again another really lovely horse and one that she's she's had for a long time and, and has, has worked come up through the grades with so um yeah a really nice deserved result for Greta for sure yeah, 10 years she said she's had that horse. He's 15 yeah. now, so pretty impressive. I'm going to hopefully get Greta onto the podcast in the future, the not-too-distant future listeners, so that we can hear some mm -hmm. more from her and you can all get to know her too. And Heidi Coy was third in that class with Helenza. She is a pretty experienced rider for an under-25. She was actually yeah. second in the class last year on her, her other mare, Russell Zed, but she was she was pretty pro. Russell Zed had a, um, had a frangible, um, mm. which pushed her down the order this time, but... Um, you know Heidi on on good form again and definitely one of our stars to watch out for in the future yeah and I think am I right in saying I know you spoke to her Pippa that she was maybe a little bit disappointed with both of her horses dressage scores or performances so she's still managed to finish what, ninth and third on both of them so she like you say she's fiercely competitive yeah, I spoke to her after Russell Zed's test and she certainly was disappointed with that. I didn't have the opportunity to speak to her after her lenses, but yeah, I think she might have hoped to be a little further up after the first mm. phase. Talking of the first phase, Gemma, mm. I would like to give a shout out to Alex Holman, who led yes. the dressage. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a super emotional moment. He came out of the, actually, both the dressage leaders were emotional. We should talk about that. He came, but Alex came out of the arena and basically burst into tears. He is a rider who doesn't have a lot of family support. He's from an unhorsey family. He's 25 years old and sort of does it all himself, runs a little yard and teaches, you know, does some schooling liveries, does everything to make it work. This is his top horse who he's had a had a good while and um, led the dress sergeant, I thought, rode very maturely cross country. You know, he didn't go all guns out to keep that lead, but gave a 10 year old horse a sensible ride and finished up fifth. Yeah, and I mean, he's still only, he got 2.4 time faults cross country, which, you know, a lot of these young riders, they were blitzing around there, making it look easy, whereas maybe some of their senior counterparts hadn't done um, earlier in the day. But yeah, Alex, bless him. He, um, like you say, he was emotional when he came out the dressage and he was quite emotional again when I spoke to him after the cross country. Um, and he sort of said after the dressage, things like this don't happen to people like me, um, which, uh, nearly got me going actually <laughs> as well it's just it's really nice to see somebody maybe slightly under the radar come out and be like here I am and you know they deserve to be there yeah 
Definitely, for sure. And also, just talking about dressage emotions, one of the massive stories at the weekend, of course, was that Piggy March rode Cool Park Sarko, Joan James Lambert's horse, who's usually ridden by Nicola Wilson. Nicola, so strongly associated with Bramham, her local event. Um, she obviously is still in hospital after that fall at Badminton and asked mm-hmm. Piggy to take on the ride. On Cool Park Sarko, Jeremy, as he's known, they went into the lead after the dressage um, in the in the four star long in a hugely emotional moment for everybody mm. involved for sure the horse was wearing nicholas quartermarks which was the part where i nearly cried um <laughs> but uh, we all just about managed to hold it together and the fairy tale wasn't quite to be it didn't quite come off for them cross country did it Gemma? no she just had um a run out very late on in the course it was you know it was just one of those things but Piggy very much throughout the week just wanted to get the horse home safe and sound. You know, she's only had two runs before going to Bramham on him. So um, I think she was very much of the view that that was mission accomplished. Yeah, exactly. He came home safely. He will have learned a lot for the run. Um, she felt that he would definitely have got the trip and been near the time if he hadn't had that run out. So he's a very promising horse for the future, sort of sure. whatever happens next. And of course, we continue to wish Nicola all the best with her recovery. Yeah, absolutely. So on to the Land Rover CCI four-star short, Gemma. This was the class that you sort of owned through the weekend. So yeah. you take the lead on this one. Who mm-hmm. was up the top? So Ros Cantor, again, uh, she was on Islot DHI and she led from start to finish. Um, it's a lovely, lovely horse. Um, she owns with Alex Moody and he did a 23.5 dressage and then just had a couple of time faults basically over the jumping phases. She's really excited about him. Um, I think, you know, she was sort of saying that he's one of the best that she's ever ridden. And when you think about the horses that she's riding, that's quite a compliment. So, yeah, she was our winner in that section. Yeah, he is a sharp little horse and she sort of said she wouldn't have gone for it if he wasn't ready for it. You know, he did. Yeah. There was a there was a bit of a dicey moment in the collecting ring after his dressage, actually, where he was having his ear covers inspected, a totally routine inspection that the steward was doing for every horse. And as he was having the covers removed, he actually ran backwards. And it was only the quick thinking of Ros's groom, Sarah Charnley, that sort of kept hold of him and inverted a potential accident or incident there in the collecting mm-hmm. ring. But um, as you say, he is an extraordinarily talented young horse who we will be seeing a lot more of yeah for sure and another one that hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more of um is Cooley Rosalind who finished second with Oliver Town in and it's the most beautiful I think she's beautiful uh grey mare and she finished on her 26.6 dressage score she is only eight so we're really one you know he was very he's very excited about her rightly so as well um so that's another one to look out for yeah, definitely two two super young horses heading the class there for mm. Oliver and Ros and Piggy March bringing up the uh, third podium place in that one on Brookfield Quality. Another horse yeah. who's talented, a little bit older. He's had his times of being a little bit tricky and she had had some tack problems, I think, at Houghton, which meant that she dropped him from the long class to the short and yeah. that that seemed to be resolved here and it seemed like they were back on track. Yeah, basically she tried a noseband that uh, that Emily Chandler had on, at the back end of last year. She tried out on him, um, sort of borrowed it and it worked. So Piggy bought her own um, and then yeah, wore it at Houghton, but it sort of wasn't, she said it wasn't molded properly and she could see sort of like these big gaping gaps and whatever. So she got the one back from Emily and it's, it obviously did the trick. <laughs> nice to see top riders helping each other out there with a bit of tack sharing and so mm-hmm. on. Well, 
Gemma, we had a great weekend and uh, saw, saw a lot of uh, a lot of fantastic sport, lots of interesting issues coming as well, up as well in the sport at Bramham. It's always a, a good weekend. Anything finally you want to mention before we finish up with our little Bramham review section? I think maybe just thank you to Bramham. Every time I've been there and reported, it's just been the most lovely atmosphere and people are so welcoming. And I just, every time I've reported there, I think that's maybe my third year that I've done it now, maybe fourth, but I think third. It's, I just come away with the, having like a really nice buzz, you know, it's, it's, I, I just really enjoy my time there. Yeah, no, you're right. And I reckon I counted up when I was looking at the role of honour in the programme on the way up. And uh, I think that was my 10th Bramham. Um, yeah, you win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm an oldie. But uh, I was going to give a final shout out to a horse that I thought was the most beautiful horse that I saw over the weekend. I couldn't sadly squeeze her into my magazine report. But she is Tiana Kudre, the American rider's ride. She's called Kankaras Girl. She was on the wait list for badminton, didn't get in, went to Bramham, finished ninth. Um, mm, had a yeah. A clear clear cross country with a few time faults show jumped clear as well i think she's she's that's in the long yeah the long in the section. long yeah yeah that's right she i just thought was the most beautiful horse there all weekend so i'm giving a shout out to her <laughs> that's fair enough <laughs> well thank you Gemma. thank you for joining me in all your hard work over the weekend and for joining me to chat about it on the podcast no worries at all Pepper. it was it was great fun thanks very much So I'm joined now by two members of our news team. The third of our merry band, Lucy Elder, is actually on her way to report at Lemoulin today. So we'll catch up with her again next week. But uh, we do have with us Eleanor Jones, our news editor. How are you, Eleanor? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. It is actually summer now. We've got windows open and the sun out and sadly my poor grey mare looking like a cheese grater because she gets so bitten, but it's never all <laughs> never all plain sailing. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I know that you don't like the bad weather, so it's good that we are getting into summer and I'm actually going to an open-air theatre tonight, so I feel quite smug. Oh. I feel like I've got the right day for it. Oh, but if it rains, it's then your fault. <laughs> it's not going to rain. <gasps> Check back next week. <laughs> <laughs> the forecast is big suns. <laughs> and I'm going to be in Cornwall next week, so you won't be talking to me. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a fab time. Thank you. We also have with us our senior news writer, Becky Murray. Is there any sun in Scotland, Becky? It's actually raining. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you know it's been quite the temperatures it's been a decent temperature so I can't complain too much um, I'm sure there's sunshine on the horizon at some point <laughs> excellent okay well on with the news Eleanor you have been writing about the return of an awards scheme for this year what is this all about yeah, so th this is something we've covered the last uh, couple of summers, obviously not including the COVID one. And it's it's called the way, spelt as in wait, to win. And the idea is that um, entrance in various showing classes, the judging happens as it does normally for the, for the normal showing class. And then also there are these separate awards given out for the horse or pony that is in the best bodily condition in each class. So the aim is to promote healthy condition rather than overweightness <laughs> not that that's a word but you know what I mean <laughs> I do and um, I know that you spoke to David Ingle he's the director of showing at Royal International for this story and Royal International is one of the obviously the most prestigious shows that's involved in the scheme what did David have to say yeah, so, so he said, and he's been involved from the start, and he said, you know, this is just, uh, it's so, this is such an important issue because as we've reported a lot before, you know, equine obesity is one of the 
thought by lots of leading vets to be one of the major welfare issues uh, affecting UK horses. And he's saying not only do we have to do this, but we it has to be open and visible. And he said he was at the British Show Pony Society Judges Conference uh, in the winter, which we also reported on. And a lot of the judges were saying nothing's being done. And he's saying, well, no, it is. And, and here it is. And, uh, you know, he, he also referred to the story that we talked about last week on the podcast about some overweight horses at, at Royal Windsor. And he said, this is why we need to do more. Mm. And um, Dr. Tamsin Furtado is one of the people who, who runs this um, this scheme. And she is a researcher who is a real expert in this area. And I know that she spoke as well about some sort of new ideas about highlighting excess weight and, and trying to help things. Tell us a bit more about what she said on that. Yeah, so she is, um, obviously there's going to be more shows and more classes involved uh, than ever before this year. And she's coming up with more ideas. She did mention possibly having a vet at every class to condition score horses and, and eliminate the obese ones, which may not be possible. But other ideas include um, maybe having weigh bridges at shows and, and people to condition score the horses along with their owners. So it's not just your horse has got X score. It's can you see this is these are the fat pads and this is why it's got that score. Um, and another idea is is that shows uh, could be branded sort of healthy condition aware. So that will mean that anyone entering horses or ponies must will know that their horses have to be in good condition and that any judges that want to mark down a horse that's overweight will feel supported by the organisers. And we have just heard actually since we went to press that the, f the first show to be branded healthy condition aware is the Great Yorkshire uh, this year. So uh, head to our website to find out more on that. Well, thank you for that, Eleanor. It does sound like hopefully some progress is going to be made in that direction. Becky, you've been looking at some new initiatives that the governing bodies are bringing in to try to make competing more affordable as the cost of living crisis continues to spiral. Um, British Dressage has just made an announcement on this. What, what did they say? What's happening? Well, BD is doing a few different things. Um, it's going to be removing all minimum starter levy payments for venues and the competitor starter levy will be reduced from £2 to £1.50 for 12 months. And in terms of judges, payments will increase from £1 to £1.50 per starter for list one to four judges and from £1 to £1.25 for list five to six. The BD board is also hoping to keep membership fees at the current level if possible and um, this will be based on the budget at the end of the year but certainly BD said it had a stronger recovery than anticipated following the pandemic so this has sort of allowed these measures to be implemented which is really good to hear. Mm, definitely and what about British Eventing they've got a couple of new things going on as well. Yes, so BE has introduced a new concept called Go BE and this was introduced to allow riders to take part in BE competitions without the need for the full BE membership. So riders take out a free associate membership and the entry fees will be set at a lower limit. Results for these competitions won't be published and there is no prize money, but it's certainly offering more riders an opportunity to compete at BE events. And as well as this, BE has reduced its pay-as-you-go membership by 50%. So this now costs £15 per category instead of £30, plus the additional £10 run fee. So BE Chief Executive Helen West said, you know, with the spiralling cost of fuel and rise in inflation, BE 
wanted to help minimise these pressures on its members. Mm. Well, some interesting new schemes there. It'd be good to see how many people take up those opportunities. Thank you, Becky. Back to you, Eleanor. British Equestrian and its 18 member bodies have signed a unity pledge in the last couple of weeks. Can you give us some details on this, please? Yeah, so this is a commitment signed by BEF itself and all the member bodies that they're committing to making equestrianism representative of the diverse communities around us, uh, they say, and to, to grow a welcoming community for everyone who are united by the love of horses. Um, and this is sort of following on from we, we reported on the fact the BEF has going to undertake this research into understanding barriers to taking part in equestrianism that was focusing on ethnically diverse communities and lower socio-economic backgrounds. So this is all sort of part of this drive to, to get those barriers down, basically. Mm. And you also spoke to some young mixed race show jumpers this week who are hoping to ride at the very top level and be role models for others coming into the sport and, and into our industry. Tell us a little more about who you spoke to and what they said. Yeah, this is, this is lovely. These are two 12-year-old show jumpers, Darcy Williams and Myrtle Hallian. Um, Darcy's mum, Samantha, told us that they absolutely weren't a horsey family at all. But she said, now life's all about horses. <laughs> um, and she said Darcy really got keen. She had a first ride when she was three. And they, they've now moved to the countryside. They met show jumper Guy Williams. And, and she's now, Darcy is now based with Guy. And her aim is to be the first person of colour representing Britain uh, at an equestrian event at the Olympics, which is brilliant. And, and Samantha was saying, you know, you don't have to be born into a horsey family. There's, there seems to be a bit of a perception that there aren't many uh, people of colour who are riders. And, and she said even Darcy's grandmother said, would she be accepted because she's, she's of mixed heritage? And, and Darcy really wants to inspire and encourage more people to take it up. Um, and then we also spoke to Claire Hallian, who's married to Mark Hallian, and her mixed heritage daughter, Myrtle, who's also 12. She is also aiming for the Olympics and she's jumped at the Global Champions Tour and, uh, and she's a model and she really wants to be a role model as well and inspire other young people of colour, which is, is just brilliant. Great, really interesting stories there. And you can read more about those in the magazine this week. Thank you, Eleanor. And thank you to Becky for joining us today too. So now it's time to hear from our vets. Over to you, Rick. Hi, my name's Rick. I'm one of the vets at Fire and Percy Equine, and I'm joined by Andy Fitzjackson, one of the uh, surgeons at the Royal Veterinary College. Andy, you're still with us. Yeah, hello. Hi, Rick. And we're just kind of going through some of those quirks about being a vet, the day-to-day -day things that we kind of encounter. Got a couple of clients that know that I'm very partial to a lemon drizzle cake, and you always equate that extra 15, 20 minutes into a visit cup a bit of cake oh dear yeah. you, you can't yeah. beat this industry with regards to that when you get to know some people um and you become part and parcel of yeah of some of their lives and everything it's great it is still i remember again it reminds me of a, um, a farmer that uh, i'd been doing his routine visits routine visits you know for those who don't know you you go out every depends on the client but maybe every two weeks or every three weeks and you just scan a lot of cows for whether pregnant or not look at some lame cows but they booked you in essentially for, for frequent visits to, to catch up on cases and you know so they have frequent veterinary attention it's a very good idea for for, for dairy units um, especially and I'd been doing this work for this this farmer for um, over a year and um, you know got on with him very very well and you know so forth and then I, I took a student out with me 
who obviously this, this farmer quite clearly had quite taken a shine to. And, well, to my, I could not believe it. I've been going to this, this farmer for over a year. Not a dicky doodah in terms of you know, <laughs> refreshments. He disappeared. And out he comes. Tray, tea, wow. uh, cake, all the back. And I said, I said, I won't use his name. I said, but you, you've never done that. You've never bought that before. <laughs> Um, we, we talked in the previous podcast about things we got splattered in in the situation. I've done plenty of that for him, but none of it, no. But you're right, that the refreshments are very, very welcome. And you do get... Um, Every time. Uh, thankfully, clients do get to know what you like, you know. And, bacon um, sandwiches. Never. I, I, uh, I've only had a few bacon sandwiches on, on visits, but oh my word, that, that ticks like a massive box, huge box. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you've already had breakfast or not. You can always no, no, find no, no, no. There's, there's always room for a bacon sandwich. Always room for a bacon sandwich. <laughs> exactly. No, they, they have some of those little perks, and uh, and sometimes you know you'll get a, a a treat for a Christmas present, won't you? And you know some of them are actually just you think, crikey, that's just so generous, and almost makes you feel like you need to sort of rec- you know return the favour somehow. But I think it's lovely that clients, you know, often do seem to genuinely appreciate um, you know things. That I absolutely done. love it, and the amount of times that I've raised a glass to someone, and with the odd bottle of Monkey Forty Seven or something like that, yeah. it's just. Like, thank you very yeah. much. But you know that, you, again, it's kind of like that thing that you know that you've done a good job as well. You, because yeah. we're always incredibly proud of what we do. And mm-hmm. we're perfectionists. I, I don't know a single vet out there that basically isn't a perfectionist at something. Mm-hmm. And they always want, we always want to do our absolute best at everything. Um, but often that's to our own detriment. Yeah, we, you lose some sleep, don't you? Oh, my God, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, and you kick yourself when you can't remember some stuff as well. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm terrible with, I can always remember a horse's name and you can tell me, right, okay, it was X, yeah, that was lame on its left foot, its right foot, it had a PSD, it had this, that, the other. Right, what was the client's first name? Ooh. Uh, they kind yeah. of forget that, I, I mean, on my books, I have about 500 clients. So, and there is nothing, and please, clients, please do not take this the wrong way at all. And there are some clients that I do remember the names of because I've known them for years. But when you've just met a client and they speak to you on the phone and everything, sometimes remembering their name is difficult. It's made more embarrassing. And I've had it before where I'm walking down the street with a partner and then you, you, you see a client walking towards you and yeah. you recognize them and you could say, right, your horse is gray, it was lame on that leg. But can you remember their name? And then when your other, you, when your partner turns around to you and goes, "Oh, this is," but you're thinking, "Oh my God, I really can't remember it, it your is, name." It's out of context, isn't it? And uh, yeah. the beauty is already knowing what was wrong with their horse, bringing their horse out and saying, "Oh, how is such and such getting on?" Or was the lame sorted and things like that? Oh yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, just... I, I went through a stage at one point of actually just saying, "I'm so sorry, I've gone completely blank," and uh, sometimes I think that can be. You know, and, and yeah, then take I'm, the honest approach, definitely. Uh, you know, even you know, people incredibly close to me, I've just gone suddenly blank with their names. You know, so I, I think it's just, I think it's hopefully it's an everyday, everyday thing. But um, I, it's because we only work twenty hours a week, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that that's the one thing again that I I try to explain to a lot of people just the sheer number of hours that sometimes you'll put in in a normal working week, proper bonkers. Yeah. It is. Often you can remember clients, of course, for which it's been a much more sort of profound experience, mm. you know, and you've had more, uh, more to do with. And, and actually, you know, even when something you know hasn't gone to plan or, or something, you know, you're more likely, in a sense, to remember those, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I got one little anecdote, which is it's hard to link into <laughs> this, um, of, a, of a very lovely coloured show cob that came in to see me for 
yeah, poor performance and, and, and probable some, some back pain involved. And this thing was immaculate, a beautiful horse, uh, mm. immaculately turned out. And um, anyway, so it came to see me and we've watched it uh, uh, trot up and so forth. And, um, and then I was sort of palpating its back and uh, so forth. Uh, and, and Rick, you'll be aware of um, what I sometimes call the biro test. Um, mm, you know, yeah. when you run a pen or something, not sharp, just it's got a sort of point. You can sort of do it with your finger, but you're better off with, usually I'll use a, uh, quite a sort of what I would call the old-fashioned biro, uh, you know, that's just a simple yeah. sort of clear with the ink thing going through the middle. Turn it the other way up, you've got the sort of blunt end, and that's perfect. You just run it down and you cause the horse to what we call venture flex and dorsal flex, so it sort of moves underneath the um, the pen and it just demonstrates normal movement or whether the horse finds that movement painful and so forth. Well, I did this test, but uh, I don't know what, what, what came over me. Uh, I got the pen the wrong way up, didn't I? Uh, and I just drew this biro line all the way down. I got surprisingly far before I realised what was going on. At least you didn't do it with a Sharpie. Well, this is true. I could have been a Sharpie because um, sometimes it is. Um, but the client... You know, it was so bad, even the client had to laugh. It's just, I can't believe And what's made it worse, I, I sort of panicked slightly and tried to sort of, you know, use something wet to rub it off. But you can oh. imagine, it just went everywhere. And this, this immaculate horse. As you say, it always has to be on the really clean and tidy one, the one oh, that is my word. sparklingly yeah, clean. Exactly. And I just was mortified. And but to be fair, the client saw the funny side of it. Um, and uh, and just, I just can't believe you just did that. <laughs> so I think sorry. clients always see the funny side of a lot of things. And that. There, there is very rare that you get clients that don't when it comes to yeah. things like that. And that, yeah. that's the joy of working with a lot of clients. And mm-hmm. just, they say never work with children and animals. Oh, God. No, I, I've no. got two kids of my own, and I work with animals all day. And frankly, sometimes when you mix the two together and then you mix a crazy dog in the front of my car as well, um, it's kind of like a recipe for disaster or fun, one or the other. They provide entertainment always, always. They do. Uh, well, Andy, thank you very much for for all your little stories. And I'm sure you're going to have a few more uh, encounters and all sorts. So uh, thanks a lot. Thanks, Rick. Take care. Thank you, Rick and Andy. Our vets will be back next week to talk about emergency call-outs. I'm actually on holiday next week, but I'm leaving you in the capable hands of the rest of our horse and hound team. Dressage editor Polly Bryan will be talking to international dressage rider Michael Eilberg about his exciting upcoming string of horses. And Alex Robinson will talk to our news team about what's been happening in the equestrian world, including checking in with Lucy about her trip to Lamoulin. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.